Mark chapter four, beginning in verse thirty five, we read on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the fourth chapter of Mark, Jesus began by speaking in parables. And remember, the focus has been on sowing in verses 1 through 20 and then again in verses 30 through 34. The themes have included shining in verses 21 through 25, reaping in verses 26 through 29. And now Jesus will use this circumstance as a real life object lesson for trusting him in verses 35 through 41. Some of you are still in school, but some of you have been school out of school for a very long time. For those of you who are in school, it's going to be very fresh. For those of you who have been out of school for a very long time, I want to jog your memory. How did you like it when the teacher would walk in and the very first thing he or she would say was, we're having a pop quiz? Oh, yeah, it's still painful for some of you. Oh, I, you can feel the wound. In life, you might see trials, tests, afflictions, storms as unwelcome. But what we see as unwelcome become an opportunity to trust the Lord. Remember, the disciples started the day listening to Jesus, speaking the word of God, explaining the word of God. By the way, the word of God has the ability to grow faith. Remember what we learn in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now the disciples will encounter an unexpected storm, a storm that seems to threaten their very existence. At the beginning of the day, Jesus spoke in parables. At the end of the day, Jesus will speak in power. Now we look at the servant in the storm. We're going to take a boat ride on the Galilee. And for those of you who have had the opportunity to travel with me to Israel, we take a boat ride on the Galilee every time we go. Sometimes the weather is good, but sometimes the weather is threatening. I've never had to cancel the boat ride. We're reminded that in life's storms, just like here, we have the promise of Jesus. 
We have the presence of Jesus. We have the protection and the power of Jesus to speak peace in troubled waters. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote, Griefs exalt us and troubles lift us up. But we live in a culture and a society that quite frankly doesn't believe that at all. We don't believe that grief exalts us. We don't believe that troubles lift us up. And we want to avoid grief and we want to avoid trouble and we want to avoid affliction. But the great country western theologian Dolly Parton used to say, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. She also said, the way I see it, if you want the rainbow, you got to put up with the rain. You know, that's good theology. And it exactly identifies what we're about to look at. We begin with the servant and his promise. Look at verse 35 on the same day. What day? The day that began at the beginning of the chapter. When evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Remember, it has been a chock filled day full of teaching and full of excitement. Now the day is over with. The sun has set. The evening has come. And the storm will take place in the setting of darkness. It usually does. When you lose your job. When your husband or wife decide that the marriage is over with. When your heart is breaking and the circumstances are hard. Often it is in a situation of darkness. But I want you to focus on one word in the sentence where it says on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. The word that I want you to focus on is that word other. You see, Jesus invites them at the end of the day to go from one end of the lake to the other. And it's going to be reminiscent of your own life. Jesus comes into your life and he invites you to walk with him and to be with him. But there will come a time when Jesus will invite you to go somewhere else. The journey begins in the night. David Nicholas wrote, quote, God's promises are like the stars. The darker the night. The brighter they shine. I had an opportunity to spend some time at a ranch in Wyoming. This was a ranch where Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid really cowboyed. And it is in the middle of nowhere. It is 40 miles from any kind of civilization. And when the sun went down and the stars came out, you could see the Milky Way stretch from one end of the sky to the other. The reality is, in pitch darkness, stars shine. The statement is a promise. The moment that Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side, he is creating a mechanism where he invites them to go from one place to the other. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, we read, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We participate with God in his plans when we embrace his promises. Augustine wrote, trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, the future to God's providence. But sometimes we forget about promises. We think my circumstances are impossible to overcome. The Lord's promise. All things are possible in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. I'm too tired. I'll give you rest. Luke, Matthew 11:28 through 30. Nobody really loves me. I love you. John 3:16, John 13:34, Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Nobody loves me. I love you. And some of you ask why? Why, why God? Why do you love me? Because I love you. What kind of answer is that? You don't love me. I love you. Why? Here in his love, in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died. Does it shock you or surprise you that God loves you? Does it shock you or surprise you that God demonstrates that love even while you were sinners that Jesus died for you? I can't go on. No, my grace is sufficient. It says in Second Corinthians twelve nine and Psalm fifty one fifteen. I can't figure things out. I'll direct your steps. It says in Proverbs three five. I can't do it. You can do all things through Christ. Philippians four thirteen. I can't do it. I'm not able. I am able. It says in Second Corinthians chapter nine verse eight. It's not worth it. Romans eight twenty eight. It will be worth it. I can't forgive myself. I forgive you. First John chapter one, verse nine, Romans eight, one, John one, nine. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans eight, one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't manage it. I'll supply all of your needs, Philippians 4.19. I'm afraid. I haven't given you the spirit of fear, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I'm always worried and frustrated. Cast your cares on me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. I don't have enough faith. I've given each and every one of you a measure of faith, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I'm not smart enough. I'll give you wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1.30. I feel all Alone. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It looks like we're all going to die. Let's cross over to the other side. Let's cross over. You see, 
One of the things that you must understand and embrace when you find yourself in the storm is that the best way to tackle life's problems isn't by neglecting and rejecting God. It's by trusting God and it's by trusting his promises. Ethel Bell wrote, quote, the acid test of our faith and the promises of God is never found in the easygoing, comfortable ways of life, but in the great emergencies in times of storm and of stress. In the days of adversity, when all human aid fails, and one day, if you live long enough, you will wake up, and human aid will fail. There will be no one to bail you out, or no one to see you through, except for God, except for His promises. You see, there are certain things in life that we must do with Jesus. And look at the very next verse, the servant in his presence. In verse 36, it says, now, when they had left the multitude, that's after teaching all throughout the day, they took him, that is Jesus, along in the boat as he was. How was he? Exhausted. Tired. Worn out, he had been going 24-7, and other little boats were also with him. I want you to see the picture. In the ancient world of the Galilee, when people would go out fishing, they didn't have big, large boats like we have. It wouldn't have been unusual for a person to be able to have three or four people in a boat. Sometimes you could cram more people in there. So it's quite possible that in one boat is Peter, James, and John. In another boat are some of the other disciples. And look what it says. And there were also other little boats with him. Just like on the sea of life, as you're journeying from point A to point B, and you're trying to get across the lake, the reality is there is this sense of the presence of the Lord. Look what it says in verse 36. They took him. At the end of the verse, other little boats were also with him. By the way, when are we most likely to sense the presence of the Lord? Isn't it in trials? Isn't it when the storm is raging and blowing? The disciples leave the multitudes. They begin the journey across the lake. But Jesus is with them. And some of you have experienced the presence of Jesus in the darkest moments of your life. I know because I've spoken with you. When you've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. When your husband has left you, when your wife has left you, when your marriage is falling apart and when your world is collapsing in around you, when the boss says, guess what? You don't have a, a job anymore. And the darkness gathers and the storm begins to blow. And you wonder whether or not. You are experiencing the presence of Jesus. But I've got to tell you something. Those times in my life where I've experienced the presence of Jesus at, at, at its best has been when times have been at their worst. When I'm kneeling at Columbine High School surrounded by kids who have been shot. When my wife has been diagnosed with cancer. When my grandmother dies. When my father dies. 
As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 33, when the Lord was speaking to Moses and the Lord was telling Moses what needed to be done in order to have a right relationship with God in Exodus 33:16, it says, quote, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you be with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. According to Moses, the only thing, the only thing, the only thing that distinguished the people of God from those who weren't the people of God was the presence of God in their lives. Do you know what made Israel different from every other nation? Because God showed up and God agreed to be their God and to walk with them. Moses asked for God's grace to bless the people and God's presence to go with the people. And guess what? God said, yes. And when you invited Jesus to come into your heart. When you prayed that prayer and you turned from your sin and you embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And you said, I'm going to walk away from sin and I'm going to embrace Jesus and I'm going to believe Jesus and I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to walk with Jesus. And Jesus forgave your sin and he came into your heart. Do you know what distinguishes you from your unbelieving family and your unbelieving friends? It's the presence of God in your life. Other nations had false gods. They had laws and they had priests and they had sacrifices and they had religion. But only the people of Israel had the true and living presence of God. And it's that presence of God that will make a difference in your life. Teresa of Avila had this as her bookmark quote, let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patient endurance attains all things. Whoever possesses God lacks nothing. God alone sufficeth. The Lord followed Joseph into his Egyptian prison. When the three friends of Daniel refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, it says that they entered into the fiery furnace and it was Nebuchadnezzar who said, look, I think I see someone in the fiery furnace with them. And it, he looks like the son of God. Do you realize that in the midst of affliction, in the midst of sorrow and in the midst of pain, that sometimes your unbelieving family and your unbelieving friends will look into your circumstances and they don't understand everything that's happening in their life. But they see Jesus, that somehow Jesus is right there. He's right next to you. When Daniel enters into the lion's den and he spins the night in the den, guess what? Jesus is with him. Spurgeon said, quote, as sure as God puts his children in the furnace of affliction, he will be with them. You have his promise. You have his presence. And you can also be a recipient of his power. Look what it says in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat against the boat so that it was already filling. By the way, the Greek text reads a great lilaps. That's the Greek word. The word 
can be translated a whirlwind, a hurricane. It's a strong word. The whole expression was used to describe gale-forced winds that would sweep on the surface of the water. The NIV translates this, a furious squall, so that it, the boat, was already filling or now getting full. Doesn't have the aorist tense suggesting a completed action. The present infinitive ongoing action, it just means Already starting to fill up, nearly swamped the way the NIV translates it. If it. Because if it were already full, the boat would be at the bottom of the lake. But sometimes you feel that way, don't you? Jesus, you told me to get into the boat. Jesus, you said you would be with me. Jesus, you promised to go to the other side. The storm has hit. The boat's filling fast. And maybe the storm has hit for you. And the boat is filling fast. Andrew Murray wrote, quote, in the storm, the tree strikes deeper roots in the soil. In the hurricane, the inhabitants of the house abide within and rejoice in the shelter. So by suffering, the father would lead us into a more deep love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that some of you want an untested faith and an unproven faith and an unfounded faith. You might say, Lord, I just want smooth sailing. But guess what? A real relationship with God and a real relationship with Christ is going to be examined and it's going to be proven and it's going to be tested. As a matter of fact, look at verse 38. But he that is Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? By the way, we don't know who was in the boat with Jesus. Was it Peter? Was it James? Was it John? Who do you suppose told him? Do you think they had a little conversation? Excuse me. Let's bring Thomas over. He's the doubter. Jesus won't mind if we wake him up. Or do you think that they did this on three? Everybody. One, two, three. We're all going to die. How do you suppose it happened? By the way, only Mark's gospel talks about this little pillow. I need to ask you a question. Do you ever doubt that Jesus cares for you? Why do we doubt that God cares, that Jesus cares. Lord, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? I think one of the reasons is we have an imperfect or an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus desires or what he requires or what he demands. There is a certain sense in which we are human. We're sometimes misled by our flesh and we're misled by the world and we're misled by the devil and we believe the lies of the enemy. God doesn't care. God's not there. Jesus doesn't care. 
But let me ask you another question. What value do your doubts and suspicions have? How do they serve you? The word pillow is very interesting to me. The reason why it's the only place in the entire Greek New Testament that it appears. But if you think it's the kind of pillow that you go to bed at night with, the kind you lay your head on, the word in the Greek language is pillow. It's pros, which means toward, and cephalon or kephalon, which means your head in the stern of the boat. In the ancient world of Israel, in the Galilee, they would have an oar at the end of the boat. And at the bottom of the oar, there was a knob that was covered in leather. And that's probably the place where Jesus has fallen asleep. Do you ever feel like there's a sleeping savior in the back of your boat? Excuse me. Jesus, excuse me, it's time to get up. My world is falling apart. G. Campbell Morgan writes that the panic is unnecessary and unworthy. Did it ever occur to you that with the promise of God, And with the presence of God, that the moment that Jesus says we're going to go from point A to point B, the reality is that you are going to go to from point A to point B. Did it ever occur to you? Did it ever occur to you? Did it ever cross your mind to watch Jesus in the storm and to believe Jesus in the storm? Wouldn't it be great to just watch him and refuse to panic? Wouldn't it be great to trust him? It was Jeremy Taylor who said that we are far safer in the middle of a storm with God than anywhere else without him. I think that's true. No matter how bad it is and no matter how wretched the waves, no matter how dark the circumstances, no matter how terrifying the circumstance, when you have the promise of Jesus and you have the presence of Jesus, guess what? You can also have peace. I suspect that some of you have doubted. Whether or not that God cares or and you've doubted whether or not he's going to see you safely to the other side. I guess each and every one of us could talk about near experiences with death. I know that I've had them. I've been in circumstances where I was one bullet away from being dead. Uh, I've been in circumstances where people have pointed a gun at me and said, if you move, I'm going to shoot you. I've been in circumstances where the car has flipped over and over and over down the side of an embankment. I've been in circumstances where the car flipped over the top of the roof, caved in on top of my head, compressing my spine and shattering the vertebrae between my shoulder blades. I should have died. When the Colorado State Patrol officer pulled me from the car. 
I was unconscious and they transported me to the hospital. And when I awoke, I could see the flashlight in my eye and they go, do you know what your name is? And I said, it's Gina Geraci. Do you know who the president of the United States is? And I said, it all depends on who you ask. The doctor made a note, sense of humor intact. There's a dog and cat hospital near Trinidad where they do sex change operations. I said, where am I? They said, Trinidad. I go, I don't give you consent to operate at all. I'll bet you if we went around the room, each and every one of you could tell a tale of how God spared your life. How he rescued you from danger. Years ago, Moody Monthly carried the following story about Ira Sankey. You may not know that name, but he was the worship leader and soloist for D.L. Moody. He was totally famous. It would have been like Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea. There was a time, obviously, when we didn't have radio and TV, but he sung before more people than anyone else up until that point. He sung before millions of people. It was Christmas Eve. 1875, and Sankey was traveling by steamboat up the Delaware River. It was a beautiful, starlit evening, and many passengers were on deck. And they were encouraging the famous evangelist to sing. And Sankey, who was leaning against one of the steamship's great funnels, he was gazing up at the stars, and he was praying silently, and he agreed to sing. And he at first thought that he would sing a Christmas song. But then he felt compelled to sing William Bradbury's Savior like a shepherd lead us. And there was a deep stillness as his baritone floated across the quiet river that Christmas Eve. And when he had finished, a man stepped from the shadows and said, did you serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered. In the spring of 1860, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit light in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, very much surprised. So did I. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I took my musket and I took aim right at your head The man said that he could kill a squirrel at a hundred yards. He says, I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full moonlight was upon you. And you raised your eyes to heaven, and you began to sing. And I said to myself, let him sing. I can always shoot him afterwards. But the song you sang then was the song you sang just now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories. I began to think about my childhood and my God-fearing mother. How she had sang so many times that same song to me. And when you finished your song, 
it was impossible for me to aim my rifle. And I thought, the Lord, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be powerful and must surely be great. And he said, my arm dropped limp of its own accord. You may not even know how many times Satan has stood in the shadows ready to take your life. But God has spared your life and intervened in your life. In verse 39, it says, then he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Shalom. Be still. G. Campbell Morgan said he talked to the wind like he was talking to a dog. Hush up. Shut up, dog. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. Look at that expression. The wind ceased. Copazzo literally wore itself out, grew weary, died down. By the way, this is the great central lesson of the passage. Jesus has the ability to protect and preserve us in life's great storms. By the way, in art, literature, throughout history, Christians have come back to this verse over and over and over again. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. We're all going in the same direction. We all face threats and Jesus is with us. We have his promises and we have his presence. And the Lord has the power over things external. The same Jesus, the same Jesus who says to the wind, peace, be still, can say to the inside of your heart, emptiness, be full, guilt, be forgiven. Do you realize that the fear and the frustration and the unbelief can be totally changed? The moment that you believe the truth about Jesus. The assurance that when Jesus asks us to go somewhere or do something, the moment that he does that, he will make an appropriate provision. Jesus has the power over things external and he has the power over things internal. Jesus has the power to speak to the wind. And he also has the power to speak to the circumstances in your life. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, described Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. Everything was created by him. Including you. Including your heart. Everything. The world in which you live, the nation in which you live, and the circumstances that you find yourself in, he has control over all things. As a matter of fact, in the passage, I want to draw your attention not only to the expression peace, because it's not just simply the absence of the wind. Peace isn't just simply the absence of the conflict or when the storm goes away. Peace is the settled assurance. That things are going to be okay. And look what it says. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. You might miss this if you're not careful. 
Our, t- our tendency is to focus on the storm. On the suffering. On the illness. On the cancer. On the shattering divorce. It's not on. Look what it says. There was a great calm. The great storm was only exceeded by the great calm. And even though sin may have had its way in your life, and even though rebellion may have had its way in your life, and maybe disobedience and disappointment has had their way in your life, it can be exceeded by the great calm, by the forgiveness, by the joy, by the celebration. The disciples, by the way, would remember this incident when the days of stress and strain and persecution would descend upon them. They would remember the Jesus who has control, not just over disease and not just over demons, not just over disasters. But later on in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see that he has power even over death itself. And look what it says in verse 40. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Do you realize that each and every one of you, without exception, barring the return of the Lord Jesus Christ or the rapture, you will die. Dying isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. Dying afraid and dying in unbelief is the worst thing that can happen to you. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that it is confidence in God. It is faith that creates the mechanism, if you will, our trust, our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that creates the mechanism where we experience forgiveness and wholeness and wellness. Perhaps you would do well to even answer that question yourself. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Part of the plan and the purpose that I have for you is to create a mechanism where love will grow and faith will grow. I have a question for you. Can the boat sink when Jesus is in it? What do you suppose the answer is? I think technically it could sink. And technically, Jesus can walk on water. And he could walk to shore. And so you're thinking, dude, you have supernatural powers. That's not fair. And it is true that Jesus walked on water, but most of the times he took a boat. But I'm going to suggest to you that it's not possible that the boat could sink while Jesus is in it, particularly if the plan is to get the boat to the other side of the lake. And the moment that Jesus says... My plan is to get you and the boat to the other side of the shore. That he will do whatever is necessary to make that happen. Amy Carmichael writes, Thou art the Lord who slept upon the pillow. 
Thou art the Lord who soothed the furious sea. What matter beating wind and tossing billow? If only we are in the boat with thee. Hold us in quiet through the age long minute while thou art silent and the wind is shrill. Can the boat sink while you, dear Lord, are in it? Can the heart faint that waits on your will? Isn't that good? That's a good question. Can your heart faint? Pass out. If Jesus is given a promise and you have his presence and you understand and are focused on his will. The reality, what is it that you want? I want to be out of the problem. I want to get out of the, the struggle. I want to not be in the storm. Remember, Jesus invited you into the boat. Jesus is the one who made the promise. Jesus will do exactly what needs to be done. And even though you might want to be out of the storm, God's plan is for you to ask a different question. What's your will and what do you want for me? You see... The hammer of affliction shatters glass, but it forges steel. The gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a human being examined and tested and tried and proven and purified apart from affliction. But most of us are terrified by loss. We're afraid I could lose my life. I could lose my job. I could lose my marriage. I could lose this. I could lose that. And that's why the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. You see, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's fear. I've told you this many times. If you were to take fear and you were to boil it down, if you put it in some sort of stove and you could get it down to its essential element, it would be loss. Fear is loss. I could lose my life. I could lose my job. I could lose my husband, my wife. I could lose my children. I could lose this. I could lose that. And the very definition of love is I don't care what I have to lose because I've already lost everything. I've already given it up. I don't have anything. If I had supernatural powers and I could say you're going to be robbed today. Somebody's going to hold you up at gunpoint. And they're going to say, give me your purse, give me your wallet. And here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Put 50 bucks in your wallet. Put 50 bucks in your purse. When it happens, when the thief says, give me your wallet, give me your purse. And you go, hey, you know what? The Lord already spoke to me today that you were going to be here and that you were going to rob me. But I've already made the decision to give you the money. Because guess what? Before you ask to rob the money, Jesus told me to give you the money. So guess what? You don't have to worry about it. This is not a robbery. It's not a hold up. I'm just simply giving you what you already own. See, you're laughing at how funny it sounds because it takes the fear away because you're not losing anything. You've already made the choice to give it up for Jesus' sake. Here's something simple you can do when you find yourself overwhelmed by sorrow and gripped by worry. Find a piece of paper and write down the following three questions. Leave yourself plenty of room so that you can have plenty of space to answer the question. Number one, write down what is my problem? Leave room. Second, 
What does God want me to do about it? Leave room. Number three, when, where, and how should I begin? By the way, sometimes just by defining the problem and forcing yourself to write it down will help lead to a solution. And then ask yourself these questions. What are the promises that God has made to me? Have I acknowledged Jesus' presence? Have I failed to remember the fact that even when the winds of change blow and the fierce and fickle storms come into my life, they have to yield to the word of God and to the word of Jesus. And in verse 41, look what it says. And they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who indeed? Who is this man who can fall asleep in the storm and speak to the wind? We're given a glimpse of his deity. We're given a peek at his humanity. Jesus calms the storm with just a word and he calms the storm on the sea of our hearts with love and faith because you see the worst thing that could possibly the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is not that you die the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is for you to die in fear And to die in unbelief. And so Jesus takes you on a journey. So that you can cultivate love. And so that you can grow faith. He calms the sea. Remember the frightened words of the disciples. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And remember his response. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Of course I care. Of course I care. That's why I'm working so hard to make sure that when the invitation is extended to you to cross over, you're going to be ready. Maybe the storm's still raging in your life. Maybe you're still gripped by pain. Maybe you're still paralyzed by fear. But the solution has got to be faith and the solution has got to be love. And the solution has to be his promise, his presence, his power. Because our friendship and our fellowship with the Lord will be examined and it will be tried And it will be tested. And it will be purified. And one day. You will wake. On the other side. Of the lake. Not in fear. And not in unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. For that dark and empty place, Lord, I pray that you would fill it with light. 
For that guilty place, Lord, I pray that you would fill it with forgiveness. For that place that's now occupied by fear, Lord, I pray that men and women would make the effort to reach out for Jesus, who's right there, right next to them, right at the very back of the boat. Lord, I pray that they would trust you. Lord, I pray that we could hear your promise and believe it. We could sense your presence and receive comfort. And that, Lord, we would wait for your power to see us safely through. And, Lord, we pray that we would grow as men and women in grace, in love, in faith, so that we would be ready to take the journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's.